Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. A fellow returned home from a men's weekend conference and his wife asked him what he learned. He said, I learned that you're to submit. She said, oh, no, I won't. And he said, yes, you will. She said, no, I won't. He said, yes, you will. She said, no, I won't. He said, yes, you will. Well, he didn't see her for a couple of weeks. And then he started seeing her just barely out of one eye. It's important to pick your fights wisely. Maybe you've heard it said, a hound dog can lick a skunk any day, but it just ain't worth it. Some things just ain't worth it. But there are other things that are worth it. And chapter 15 contains the account of two fights. Two fights over two issues. We will reserve the judgment on the second fight until next time. But the first issue was definitely worth fighting for. It was a battle for the gospel. It was a battle for salvation by grace. It was a battle for the souls of men. It was a battle over the answer to, to the question, what does a person have to do to be saved? And that's the most important question man will ever ask. And so the answer is worth fighting for. And that battle is described for us in verses 1 to 35. And it unfolds in four parts. The dispute, the debate, the decision, and the development. First of all, the, the dispute in verses 1 to 5. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, in order to set the scene, you have to step back into chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas have finished their first missionary journey. They have settled down for a long stay with the disciples in Antioch. There is much enthusiasm about the things God has done. They are enjoying great fellowship. And into this tranquil setting come these men from Judah. Verse 5 tells us that they were Pharisees who believed. Verse 24 tells us they came from the church at Jerusalem. And they began to teach that if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. Now, circumcision was a sign associated with the covenant God had made with Abraham. Circumcision was the identifying mark of a Jew. So these men were really saying, in order to become a Christian, you first have to become a Jew. They were saying the door is Jesus, but to get to that, that door, you have to come into the vestibule of Judaism. You have to come into Judaism first, and then you can come to Christ. Do we hear teaching like that today? Sure we do. You've heard people say, in order to become a Christian, you have to become a member of such and such a church. In order to become a Christian, you have to go through certain rituals. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. If you're not partaking of communion or mass every week, you're not saved. You see, the specific issue may have changed, but the principle is the same. 
But that's not all that these men were teaching. Verse 5 tells us they were teaching something else. They stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. It is necessary to observe the law, the, the law of Moses. What does necessary mean? Well, the commentary is in verse 1. It is necessary for salvation that you keep the law of Moses. And so they were teaching faith plus works for salvation. Are people still teaching that today? Sure they are. There are all kinds of people today, some more subtle than others, teaching that you have to believe on Jesus and attain to a certain standard. You have to score a 21 on the spiritual SAT. There are all kinds of people today who say that salvation is a joint endeavor. He does his part, and you've got to do your part. There are all kinds of people today teaching that salvation is a combination of believing on Jesus and doing the best you can. And so in answer to the question, what does a person have to do to be saved, these men were saying, believe on Jesus and be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And whenever someone answers that question with an and, I'm going to tell them to abstain from certain things. And James mentions four things. Number one is things contaminated by idols. That's clarified in verse 29 in the letter where it's called things sacrificed to idols. What he's talking about is the meat that was sacrificed to idols in the pagan temples. He says the Gentiles were to abstain from eating that. Secondly, he says fornication. That's a word that means sexual sins in general. And in the Gentile world, much as it is today, that wasn't considered a sin. In fact, they associated immorality and fornication with their worship in the pagan temples. They had priestesses in the pagan temple who were little more than prostitutes. And so he says, abstain from that. And then third, he says, what is strangled and fourth, blood. Those are closely related because throughout the law, Jews are told not to eat blood. They had to kill animals in such a way that they would cut their throat and the blood would all run out. And so he says, you're not to eat anything that is strangled because if you strangle it, the blood stays in it. You say, well, what do these requirements have to do with the Gentile? I mean, why is he imposing these things on the Gentiles? Well, be careful. He's not imposing these as requirements for salvation. He's imposing these for requirements for fellowship. And that's clear in verse 21 where he goes on to say, for or because Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. James says there are Jews in every city, even the Gentile cities. And many of those churches are closely related to the synagogue. And so the Gentiles need to be sensitive to the Jews by keeping these requirements for two reasons. Number one would be for fellowship. If the Gentile believers observed these things, that it would make it easier for the Jewish believers to have fellowship with them. I mean, you can imagine it was hard enough for a Jewish believer to come over to a Gentile's house and have barbecued pork chops. But then if in the conversation he finds out that this has been offered to an idol and it's still got the blood in it, then that's like adding insult to injury. And so take these precautions to make that fellowship easier. And then there's a second reason here, and that's outreach. By the, Jew, by the Gentiles observing these things, 
they would allow the unity between the Jews and Gentiles to be such that they could have a better outreach to the Jewish community. And that's why he says in verse 21, they're in every city. Verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas leading men among the brethren. To help reassure the believers in Antioch, they not only sent a letter, but they sent two of their leading men to accompany it, Judas and Silas. And then verse 23 says, and they sent this letter by them. And then we have a record here of the letter. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling their souls. Now notice what they're clarifying. They're saying, we know these fellows came from Jerusalem, but we didn't send them there. And we know they've unsettled you. So, verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will, will also report the same things by word of mouth. Judas and Silas are coming. They will not only read the letter to you, they will also communicate this message by mouth. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So there's the decision. Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be saved, but they need to be sensitive to the scruples of their Jewish brothers. Which brings us to the fourth point, and that's the development in verses 30 to 35. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now these several weeks had to be long weeks for the church at Antioch because they had to be worrying what was going to be the outcome of this situation. You have to remember, they didn't have the book of Romans and Galatians and Hebrews to study. And so when the letter finally came back and was read to them, it says they rejoiced. Verse 32, And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Now there's the biblical precedent for long sermons. These fellows delivered message to the church at Antioch. Now what was their message? Well, we're not told, but I guarantee you it was a message of grace. Because this verse says the people were encouraged and strengthened. You don't get encouraged and strengthened by legalism. You don't get encouraged and strengthened when somebody tells you, you've got to work as hard as you can and maybe you'll get there. That's not encouraging. Only grace encourages. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, it says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Verse 35. But Paul, I'm sorry, 33. And after they had spent time there, they, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. And then verse 34, which is not in most of the manuscripts, says, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. They sent Judas and Silas home, and verse uh, 34 
gives us a little footnote that probably a scribe wrote in the margin to let us know that Silas actually stayed there because down in verse 40, we're going to find that he goes out with Paul on his next missionary journey. And then verse 35, But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And so this passage ends much like it started, with Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Everything looked pretty much the same, but it was really different because the church had made great strides. They had fought a fight worth fighting. And they now had a new understanding of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does a person have to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus, period. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. And that's worth fighting for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for the account of the struggle that took place in the early church as false teaching sought to creep its way in. And Father, as we see this example, we look around today and realize that the program has changed and the players have changed, but the enemies tactic is the same. He's still trying to introduce works and ritual and what man does to accomplish his salvation. And Father, I pray that we might stand up and be bold for those things that count. And Father, that we might realize that salvation is all your work. It's all what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's all grace. And it has nothing to do with what we do. We just receive it as a gift by faith and faith alone. And Lord, because of that, we worship you today. And we pray that we might be challenged to go out and share this amazing message with others. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.